You know, I, I, I read scripture and in my mind, there isn't this voice that's like this. It's, and, and I think this is one of the, the, the funniest passages because it's just this great trash talk that's going on. I mean, so Nathaniel only shows up in the Gospel of John. But the Gospel of John is different than the other three. The other three we call synoptic Gospels because they look, they have a similar view of Jesus and it's clear that they all used a common source and each other. But so here's a little bit about the Gospel of John. It's the most recent of all three. It was probably written somewhere around the year 100, give or take 30 years. It's often called the spiritual gospel because the author tells the story of Jesus in symbolic ways that vary and even contradict sometimes Mark, Matthew, and Luke. And John's gospel was written at a time when the new Christian movement was moving farther and farther away from Judaism. In fact, we find in John some passages that may seem openly hostile to some of the Jewish traditions. Now, this section of scripture that we read today um, with the section before it is often referred to as the place where Jesus is calling his disciples. But it doesn't really seem like there is calling involved. No, John's out baptizing people. And he tries to tell this contingent of Pharisees, this is what's happening before this section, a contingent of Pharisees who come around and wondering why he's doing what he's doing. And John explains that he thinks he's supposed to be doing what he's doing until their Messiah comes, that his job is to prepare the way. And then lo and behold, the next day, Jesus just comes walking by. And John sees the Holy Spirit descend like a dove and to sit with Jesus. And then Jesus tells John that what John sees means that Jesus will baptize people with spirit, not just water. And so John recognizes, yeah, this is the Messiah. Well, the next day, well, Jesus was just passing by again. And John elbows two of his followers and says, hey, look, this is the guy that I was telling you about. He's the real deal. So the two disciples of John take off and follow Jesus. I mean, I kind of imagine them just kind of skulking around behind him. What's he doing? Um, eventually, Jesus turns around and says, what are you doing? And they said, well, we're looking for a teacher. And they wanted to know where Jesus was living. And Jesus says, well, you're welcome to come and see. So they do. Now, we don't know what they did that evening. But it must have been something compelling because the next day, one of the two, Andrew, goes and gets his brother Simon and says, Come and see where I've been and who I've met. And Jesus meets Simon, 
And he gives him, I think this is very a la George Bush, the shrub, as Molly Ivins called him, a nickname. He says, nah, I'm not going to call you Simon. You're going to be Cephas, which means Peter. So this merry band of disciples is growing and trekking about. And they run into Philip. And Jesus says, come on, follow me. And we don't know what Philip encountered, but, was, but it was compelling enough for him to go find his friend Nathaniel. And, said, and so Philip goes and says, come meet this guy that I've met. And Nathaniel responds with this classic bit of trash talk and says, really? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, Philip doesn't explain. He just says, come and see. We don't really know why Nathaniel had a grudge against Nazareth. It could have been something like the, you A&M and UT people. It, it's perfectly fine schools, but there's this. So, come and see. Come and see. Jesus and his first disciples don't give doctrine. Jesus doesn't give his first disciples doctrine or dog dogma. We don't hear his early, earlier followers giving doctrine or dogma. They don't say what they're for. They don't say what they're against. They don't try to set Jesus apart from others. They just say, come, come and see. And when the author of John created his gospel, early Christian communities were already in place. Paul wrote his first letter to the Corinthians at least 40 years before John wrote his gospel. So early Christian communities were in place. And guess what? They were already having problems. Read the letters, and you'll see the congregations. They were dealing with ethnic tensions, with class tensions, with false teachings, with sexual immorality, with uh, gossip, with losing their direction because they were leaning into fear. They were arguing, and the arguments were so great that members of the communities were suing each other. And there were factions within the congregations that were lining up behind one leader or another. As they say, everything old is new again. It seems once you get any of us humans, I mean, involved in an organization, there will be tensions, there will be lying, there will be immorality, there will be gospel, there will be the practicing of faith, fear instead of faith, and there will be taking of sides. We are experts at causing problems for ourselves. So the author of John knew this when putting Reed to Papyrus. The gospel was written for Jews and for Gentiles, and they may have been familiar with, and he may have been familiar with some of these congregations. He may have been familiar with the wonderful groups of Christ followers, and he may have been familiar with scandalous behavior among Christ followers. He may have been cared for by some of these Christ followers. 
He may have experienced glorious transcendence in worship with some of these Christ followers. He may have been misled or lied to by Christ followers. And any of all of these experiences could have been possible with any of these early believers. And any and all of these experiences can be found and experienced with any of our modern day Christ bodies of Christ followers. And, and it was within this social religious stew that the author of John attempted to tell the very good news of Jesus. So it's ingenious that the, the author doesn't even try to explain what happens when these early disciples go to see all we know is that they stayed. How can you explain to another why you become a part of a merry band of Christians? Every single one of us here has had an experience within a church in one place or another that has let us down, that has offended us or scandalized us. Every one of us here has also known the hand of God on us in one way or another. Every one of us has also experienced care, compassion, accountability, truth-telling, and justice work. We're in an uncomfortable spot in our life of United Christian Church of Austin, but it's not a broken spot. Groups care for one another, teach one another. Our children are loved and love one another. Our children are offered well thought through Christian formation. Our youth have the opportunity to explore and learn and engage in service. We have the opportunity to worship, to sing, to play. We have the opportunity to stand with our brothers and sisters of all different walks of life to say that God is a God of justice and mercy. We have the ability together to seek forgiveness and to be forgiven. We have the opportunity to smile, speak slowly, and praise. Where are you going? I ask. And I ask that you would come and see. Let's go together. Amen. <laughs>